Chapters 52 and 53 of Don Quixote, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Carol Stripling. Don Quixote, Volume 2, by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by John Ormsby. Chapters 52 and 53. Chapter 52 Wherein is related the adventure of the second distressed or afflicted duena, otherwise called Doña Rodriguez. Cide Amete relates that Don Quixote, being now cured of his scratches, felt that the life he was leading in the castle was entirely inconsistent with the order of chivalry he professed, so he determined to ask the duke and duchess to permit him to take his departure for Saragossa, as the time of the festival was now drawing near, and he hoped to win there the suit of armor which is the prize at festivals of the sort. But one day at table with the duke and duchess, just as he was about to carry his resolution into effect and ask for their permission, lo and behold, suddenly, there came in through the door of the great hall two women, as they afterwards proved to be, draped in mourning from head to foot, one of whom approaching Don Quixote flung herself at full length at his feet, pressing her lips to them and uttering moans so sad, so deep, and so doleful that she put all who heard and saw her into a state of perplexity. And though the duke and duchess supposed it must be some joke their servants were playing off upon Don Quixote, still the earnest way the woman sighed and moaned and wept puzzled them and made them feel uncertain, until Don Quixote, touched with compassion, raised her up and made her unveil herself and remove the mantle from her tearful face. She complied and disclosed what no one could have ever anticipated— for she disclosed the countenance of Doña Rodriguez, the duenna of the house, the other female in mourning being her daughter, who had been made a fool of by the rich farmer's son. All who knew her were filled with astonishment, and the duke and duchess more than any, for though they thought her a simpleton and a weak creature, they did not think her capable of crazy pranks. Doña Rodriguez, at length, turning to her master and mistress, said to them, "'Will your excellencies be pleased to permit me to speak to this gentleman for a moment? For it is requisite I should do so in order to get successfully out of the business in which the boldest of an evil-minded clown has involved me.' The duke said that for his part he gave her leave, and that she might speak with Signor Don Quixote as much as she liked. She, then, turning to Don Quixote and addressing herself to him, said, Some days since, valiant knight, I gave you an account of the injustice and treachery of a wicked farmer to my dearly beloved daughter, the unhappy damsel here before you, and you promised me to take her part and right the wrong that has been done her, but now it has come to my hearing that you are about to depart from this castle in quest of such fair adventures as God may vouchsafe to you. Therefore, before you take the road, 
i would that you challenge this froward rustic and compel him to marry my daughter in fulfilment of the promise he gave her to become her husband before he seduced her for to expect that my lord the duke will do me justice is to ask pears from the elm-tree for the reason i stated privately to your worship and so may our lord grant you good health and forsake us not to these words don quixote replied very gravely and solemnly worthy duenna check your tears or, or rather dry them and spare your sighs for i take it upon myself to obtain redress for your daughter for whom it would have been better not to have been so ready to believe lovers promises which are for the most part quickly made and very slowly performed and so with my lord the duke's leave i will at once go in quest of this inhuman youth and will find him out and challenge him and slay him if so be he refuses to keep his promised word for the chief object of my profession is to spare the humble and chastise the proud i mean to help the distressed and destroy the oppressors there is no necessity said the duke for your worship to take the trouble of seeking out the rustic of whom this worthy duenna complains nor is there any necessity either for asking my leave to challenge him for i admit him duly challenged and will take care that he is informed of the challenge and accepts it and comes to answer it in person to this castle of mine where i shall afford to both a fair field observing all the conditions which are usually and properly observed in such trials and observing too justice to both sides as all princes who offer a free field to combatants within the limits of their lordships are bound to do then with that assurance and your highness's good leave said don quixote i hereby for this once waive my privilege of gentle blood and come down and put myself on a level with the lowly birth of the wrong-doer making myself equal with him and enabling him to enter into combat with me and so i challenge and defy him though absent on the plea of his malfeasance in breaking faith with this poor damsel who was a maiden and now by his misdeed is none and say that he shall fulfil the promise he gave her to become her lawful husband or else stake his life upon the question and then plucking off a glove he threw it down in the middle of the hall and the duke picked it up saying as he had said before that he accepted the challenge in the name of his vassal and fixed six days thence as the time the courtyard of the castle as the place, and for arms the customary ones of knights, lance, and shield, and full armor, with all the other accessories, without trickery, guile, or charms of any sort, and examined and passed by the judges of the field. But first of all, he said, it is requisite that this worthy duenna and unworthy damsel should place their claim for justice in the hands of Don Quixote, for otherwise nothing can be done, nor can the said challenge be brought to a lawful issue. I do so place it, replied the duenna. And I, too, added her daughter, all in tears and covered with shame and confusion. 
This declaration having been made, and the Duke having settled in his own mind what he would do in the matter, the ladies in black withdrew, and the Duchess gave orders that for the future they were not to be treated as servants of hers, but as lady adventurers who came to her house to demand justice. So they gave them a room to themselves, and waited on them as they would on strangers, to the consternation of the other women-servants, who did not know where the folly and imprudence of Doña Rodriguez and her unlucky daughter would stop. And now, to complete the enjoyment of the feast, and bring the dinner to a satisfactory end, lo and behold, the page, who had carried the letters and presents to Teresa Panza, the wife of the governor Sancho, entered the hall and the duke and duchess were very well pleased to see him, being anxious to know the result of his journey. But when they asked him, the page said in reply that he could not give it before so many people or in a few words, and begged their excellencies to be pleased to let it wait for a private opportunity, and in the meantime amuse themselves with these letters and taking out the letters, he placed them in the Duchess's hand. One bore by way of address, letter for my lady the Duchess so-and-so, of I don't know where, and the other to my husband Sancho Panza, governor of the island of Barataria, whom God prosper longer than me. The Duchess's bread would not bake, as the saying is, until she had read her letter, and having looked over it herself, and seen that it might be read aloud for the Duke and all present to hear, she read out as follows, Teresa Panza's letter to the Duchess. The letter your Highness wrote me, my lady, gave me great pleasure, for indeed I found it very welcome. The string of coral beads is very fine, and my husband's hunting suit does not fall short of it. All this village is very much pleased that your ladyship has made a governor of my good man Sancho, though nobody will believe it, particularly the curate and Master Nicholas the barber and the bachelor Samson Carrasco, but I don't care for that, for so long as it is true as it is, they may all say what they like, though, to tell the truth, if the coral beads and the suit had not come, I would not have believed it either, for in this village everybody thinks my husband a numbskull, and except for governing a flock of goats, they cannot fancy what sort of government he can be fit for. God grant it, and direct him according as he sees his children stand in need of it. I am resolved with your worship's leave, lady of my soul, to make the most of this fair day, and go to court to stretch myself at ease in a coach." and make all those I have envying me already burst their eyes out. So I beg your excellence to order my husband to send me a small trifle of money, and to let it be something to speak of, because one's expenses are heavy at the court. For a loaf costs a real, and meat thirty maravedis a pound, which is beyond everything." and if he does not want me to go, let him tell me in time, for my feet are on the fidgets to be off, and my friends and neighbors tell me that if my daughter and I make a figure and a brave show at court, my husband will come to be known far more by me than I by him, for of course plenty of people will ask, who are those ladies in that coach? 
and some servant of mine will answer, the wife and daughter of Sancho Panza, governor of the island of Barataria. And in this way Sancho will become known, and I'll be thought well of, and to roam for everything. I am as vexed as vexed can be that they have gathered no acorns this year in our village, for all that I send your highness about half a peck, that I went to the wood to gather and pick out one by one myself, and I could find no bigger ones. I wish they were as big as ostrich eggs. Let not your high mightiness forget to write to me, and I will take care to answer and let you know how I am, and whatever news there may be in this place where I remain, praying our Lord to have your highness in his keeping, and not to forget me. Sancha, my daughter, and my son, kiss your worship's hands. She who would rather see your ladyship than write to you, your servant. Teresa Panza. All were greatly amused by Teresa Panza's letter, but particularly the Duke and Duchess, and the Duchess asked Don Quixote's opinion whether they might open the letter that had come for the governor, which she suspected must be very good. Don Quixote said that to gratify them he would open it, and did so, and found that it ran as follows. Teresa Panza's letter to her husband, Sancho Panza. I got thy letter, Sancho of my soul, and I promise thee and swear as a Catholic Christian that I was within two fingers' breadth of going mad. I was so happy. I can tell thee, brother, when I came to hear that thou wert a governor, I thought I should have dropped dead with pure joy, and thou knowest they say sudden joy kills as well as great sorrow. And as for Sanchica, thy daughter, she leaked from sheer happiness. I had before me the suit thou didst send me, and the coral beads my lady the duchess sent me round my neck, and the letters in my hands, and there was the bearer of them standing by, and in spite of all this I verily believed and thought that what I saw and handled was all a dream, for who could have thought that a goatherd would come to be a governor of islands? Thou knowest, my friend, what my mother used to say, that one must live long to see much. I say it because I expect to see more if I live longer, for I don't expect to stop until I see thee a farmer of taxes or a collector of revenue, which are offices where, though the devil carries off those who make a bad use of them, still they make and handle money." My lady the Duchess will tell thee the desire I have to go to the court. Consider the matter, and let me know thy pleasure. I will try to do honour to thee by going in a coach. Neither the curate, nor the barber, nor the bachelor, nor even the Sancristan can believe that thou art a governor, and they say the whole thing is a delusion or an enchantment affair like everything belonging to thy master Don Quixote, and Samson says he must go in search of thee and drive the government out of thy head and the madness out of Don Quixote's skull. I only laugh and look at my string of beads and plan out the dress I am going to make for our daughter out of thy suit. I sent some acorns to my lady the duchess. I wish they had been gold. Send me some strings of pearls if they are in fashion in that island. 
here is the news of the village. La Berueca has married her daughter to a good-for-nothing painter who came here to paint anything that might turn up. The council gave him an order to paint His Majesty's arms over the door of the town hall. He asked two ducats, which they paid him in advance. He worked for eight days, and at the end of them had nothing painted, and then said he had no turn for painting such trifling things. He returned the money, and for all that has married on the pretense of being a good workman. To be sure, he has now laid aside his paintbrush and taken a spade in hand, and goes to the field like a gentleman. Pedro Lobo's son has received the first orders and tonsure with the intention of becoming a priest. Mingia, Mingo Silvato's granddaughter, found it out and has gone to law with him on the score of having given her promise of marriage. Evil tongues say she is with child by him, but he denies it stoutly. There are no olives this year, and there is not a drop of vinegar to be had in the whole village. A company of soldiers passed through here. When they left, they took away with them three of the girls of the village. I will not tell thee who they are. Perhaps they will come back, and they will be sure to find those who will take them for wives with all their blemishes, good or bad. Sanchica is making bonelace. She earns eight maravedis a day clear, which she puts into a money-box as a help towards house furnishing. But now that she is a governor's daughter, thou wilt give her a portion without her working for it. The fountain in the plaza has run dry. A flash of lightning struck the hibet, and I wish they all lit there. I look for an answer to this, and to know thy mind about my going to the court, and so God keep thee longer than me, or as long, for I would not leave thee in this world without me. Thy wife, Teresa Panza. The letters were applauded, laughed over, relished, and admired, and then, as if to put the seal to the business, the courier arrived, bringing the one Sancho sent to Don Quixote, and this, too, was read out, and it raised some doubts as to the governor's simplicity. The duchess withdrew to hear from the page about his adventures in Sancho's village, which he narrated at full length without leaving a single circumstance unmentioned. He gave her the acorns, and also a cheese which Teresa had given him as being particularly good and superior to those of Tronchon. The Duchess received it with greatest delight, in which we will leave her to describe the end of the government of the great Sancho Panza, flower and mirror of all governors of islands. End of chapter 52 Chapter 53 of the troublous end and termination Sancho Panza's government came to. To fancy that in this life anything belonging to it will remain forever in the same state is an idle fancy. On the contrary, in it everything seems to go in a circle, I mean round and round. The spring succeeds the summer, the summer the fall, the fall the autumn, the autumn the winter, and the winter the spring, and so time rolls with never-ceasing wheel. 
Man's life alone, swifter than time, speeds onward to its end without any hope of renewal, save it be in that other life which is endless and boundless. Thus saith Sideamite, the Mahometan philosopher, for there are many that by the light of nature alone, without the light of faith, have a comprehension of the fleeting nature and instability of this present life, and the endless duration of that eternal life we hope for. But our author is here speaking of the rapidity with which Sancho's government came to an end, melted away, disappeared, vanished, as it were, in smoke and shadow. For as he lay in bed on the night of the seventh day of his government, sated, not with bread and wine, but with delivering judgments and giving opinions and making laws and proclamations, just as sleep, in spite of hunger, was beginning to close his eyelids, he heard such a noise of bell ringing and shouting that one would have fancied the whole island was going to the bottom. He sat up in bed and remained listening intently to try if he could make out what could be the cause of so great an uproar. Not only, however, was he unable to discover what it was, but as countless drums and trumpets now helped to swell the din of the bells and shouts, he was more puzzled than ever and filled with fear and terror. And getting up, he put on a pair of slippers because of the dampness of the floor, and without throwing a dressing-gown or anything of the kind over him, he rushed out of the door of his room, just in time to see approaching along a corridor a band of more than twenty persons with lighted torches and naked swords in their hands, all shouting out, To arms! To arms! Senor Governor! To arms! The enemy is in the island in countless numbers, and we are lost unless your skill and valor come to our support. Keeping up this noise, tumult, and uproar, they came to where Sancho stood, dazed and bewildered by what he saw and heard, and as they approached, one of them called out to him, Arm at once, your lordship, if you would not have yourself destroyed and the whole island lost. What have I to do with arming? said Sancho. What do I know about arms or supports? Better leave all that to my master, Don Quixote, who will settle it and make all safe in a trice. For I, sinner that I am, God help me, don't understand these scuffles. Ah, oh, Senor Governor, said another, what slackness of metal this is. Arm yourself. Here are arms for you, offensive and defensive. Come out to the plaza and be our leader and captain. It falls upon you by right for you are our governor. Arm me then in God's name, said Sancho, and they at once produced two large shields they had come provided with, and placed them upon him over his shirt, without letting him put on anything else, one shield in front and the other behind, and passing his arms through openings they had made, they bound him tight with ropes, so that there he was walled and boarded up as straight as a spindle, and unable to bend his knees or stir a single step. In his hand they placed a lance, on which he leant to keep himself from falling, and as soon as they had him thus fixed, they bade him march forward, and lead them on, and give them all courage, 
for with him for their guide and lamp and morning star they were sure to bring their business to a successful issue. "'How am I to march, unlucky being that I am?' said Sancho, "'when I can't stir my kneecaps, for these boards I have bound so tight to my body won't let me. What you must do is carry me in your arms, and lay me across, or set me upright in some postern, and I'll hold it either with this lance or with my body.' on senor governor cried another it is fear more than the boards that keeps you from moving make haste stir yourself for there is no time to lose the enemy is increasing in numbers the shouts grow louder and the danger is pressing urged by these exhortations and reproaches the poor governor made an attempt to advance but fell to the ground with such a crash that he fancied he had broken himself all to pieces there he lay like a tortoise enclosed in its shell or a side of bacon between two kneading troughs or a boat bottom up on the beach nor did the gang of jokers feel any compassion for him when they saw him down so far from that extinguishing their torches they began to shout afresh and to renew the calls to arms with such energy trampling on poor sancho and slashing at him over the shield with their swords in such a way that if he had not gathered himself together and made himself small and drawn in his head between the shields it would have fared badly with the poor governor as squeezed into that narrow compass he lay sweating and sweating again and commending himself with all his heart to god to deliver him from his present peril some stumbled over him others fell upon him and one there was who took up a position on top of him for some time and from thence as if from a watch-tower issued orders to the troops shouting out here our side here the enemy is thickest hold the breach there shut that gate barricade those ladders here with your stink-pots of pitch and resin and kettles of boiling oil block the streets with feather-beds in short, in his ardor, he mentioned every little thing and every implement and engine of war by means of which an assault upon a city is warded off, while the bruised and battered Sancho, who heard and suffered all, was saying to himself, Oh, if it would only please the Lord to let the island be lost at once, and I could see myself either dead or out of this torture." heaven heard his prayer and when he least expected it he heard voices exclaiming victory victory the enemy retreats beaten come senor governor get up and come and enjoy the victory and divide the spoils that have been won from the foe by the might of that invincible arm lift me up said the wretched sancho in a woe-begone voice they helped him to rise, and as soon as he was on his feet, said, The enemy I have beaten you may nail to my forehead. I don't want to divide the spoils of the foe. I only beg and entreat some friend, if I have one, to give me a sup of wine, for I'm parched with thirst, and wipe me dry, for I'm turning to water.' 
They rubbed him down, fetched him wine, and unbound the shields, and he seated himself upon his bed, and with fear, agitation, and fatigue, he fainted away. Those who had been concerned in the joke were now sorry they had pushed it so far. However, the anxiety his fainting away had caused them was relieved by his returning to himself. He asked what o'clock it was. They told him it was just daybreak. He said no more, and in silence began to dress himself while all watched him, waiting to see what the haste with which he was putting on his clothes meant. He got himself dressed at last, and then, slowly, for he was sorely bruised and could not go fast, he proceeded to the stable, followed by all who were present, and going up to Dapple, embraced him, and gave him a loving kiss on the forehead, and said to him, not without tears in his eyes, "'Come along, comrade and friend and partner of my toils and sorrows. When I was with you and had no cares to trouble me except mending your harness and feeding your little carcass,' Happy were my hours, my days, and my years. But since I left you and mounted the towers of ambition and pride, a thousand miseries, a thousand troubles, and four thousand anxieties have entered into my soul. And all the while he was speaking in this strain, he was fixing the pack-saddle on the ass without a word from any one. Then, having Dapple saddled, he, with great pain and difficulty, got up on him, and addressing himself to the Mahardomo, the secretary, the head carver, and Pedro Recio, the doctor, and several others who stood by, he said, Make way, gentlemen, and let me go back to my old freedom. Let me go look for my past life and raise myself up from this present death. I was not born to be a governor or protect islands or cities from the enemies that choose to attack them. Plowing and digging, vine-dressing and pruning are more in my way than defending provinces or kingdoms. St. Peter is very well at Rome. I mean, each of us is best following the trade he was born to. A reaping hook fits my hand better than a governor's scepter. I'd rather have my fill of gazpacho than be subject to the misery of a meddling doctor who me with hunger, and I'd rather lie in a summer under the shade of an oak, and in winter wrap myself in a double sheepskin jacket in freedom, than go to bed between holland sheets and dress in sables under the restraint of a government. God be with your worships, and tell my lord the duke, that naked I was born, naked I find myself. I neither lose nor gain. I mean that without a farthing I came into this government, and without a farthing I go out of it, very different from the way governors commonly leave other islands. Stand aside and let me go. I have to plaster myself, for I believe every one of my ribs is crushed, thanks to the enemies that have been trampling over me tonight. That is unnecessary, Signor Governor, said Dr. Recio. 
for I will give your worship a draught against falls and bruises that will soon make you as sound and strong as ever. And as for your diet, I promise your worship to behave better, and let you eat plentifully of whatever you like. You spoke late, said Sancho. I'd as soon turn Turk as stay any longer. Those jokes won't pass a second time. By God, I'd as soon remain in this government or take another, even if it was offered me between two plates as fly to heaven without wings. I am of the breed of the Panzas, and they are every one of them obstinate. And if they once say odds, odds it must be, no matter if it is evens, in spite of all the world. Here in this stable I leave the ant's wings that lifted me up into the air for the swifts and other birds to eat me, and let's take to level ground and our feet once more. And if they're not shod in pinked shoes of Corlevan, they won't want for rough sandals of hemp. Every ewe to her like, and let no one stretch his leg beyond the length of the sheet. And now let me pass for it's growing late with me. To this the Mahardomo said, Senor Governor, we would let your worship go with all our hearts, though it sorely grieves us to lose you, for your wit and Christian conduct naturally make us regret you. But it is well known that every governor, before he leaves the place where he has been governing, is bound first of all to render an account. Let your worship do so for the ten days you have held the government, and then you may go and the peace of God go with you. No one can demand it of me, said Sancho, but he whom my lord the duke shall appoint. I am going to meet him, and to him I will render an exact one. Besides, when I go forth naked as I do, there is no other proof needed to show that I have governed like an angel. My God, the great Sancho is right, said Dr. Recio, and we should let him go, for the Duke will be beyond measure glad to see him. They all agreed to this and allowed him to go, first offering to bear him company and furnish him with all he wanted for his own comfort or for the journey. Sancho said he did not want anything more than a little barley for Dapple, and half a cheese and half a loaf for himself. For the distance being so short, there was no occasion for any better or bulkier provant. They all embraced him, and he with tears embraced all of them, and left them filled with admiration, not only at his remarks, but at his firm and sensible resolution. End of chapter 53 Recorded by Carol Stripling